are listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Welcome to the Audio Nailcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got Mr. Bobby Osinski. Bobby. Hey, Mike. Hi, guys. It's good to see you, Bobby. Likewise, Mike. Next to him, we've got the sound maker himself, <gasps> Mr. <laughs> Scott Gershon. Hey. Hi, Mike. Wow, that's relatively tame, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, across the table, we've got the one and only Iron Man. This is show number 171 in a row, Mr. Woo. Rob Arbiter. Hello, Mike. Hello, everyone. Guys, it's good to be back. It I, is I, good to be back. Am I, I actually here this time? I know. You're here again. Wow. Which is great. It's freaking me out. Hey, we have a great show today. We're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff, um, good things, bad things. And on the second half, I, I'm going to show you a path to making it. In an audio. It's just a path, but it's going to explode. Hey, but first, let's talk about a couple things. And right off the bat, um, let's talk about the NAM show. The NAM show. NAM show happened uh, a week ago. Yeah. Or by the time this posts. A month ago. A month ago. <laughs> no, <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully not. We're actually, we're actually been posting pretty quick. Um, but uh, I just want to talk about NAM. NAM, I thought this year was pretty awesome. It seemed really optimistic, um, whether or not it <laughs> ended up being that way. Mm-hmm. But it seemed really optimistic. It was great. Um, met a lot of really cool people. Met a lot of listeners. Um, but first, before we go into NAM, I got to give a couple shout outs. Number one, I got to give a shout out to Larry Smith and David Sells from um, Wild World Cable Technology. We had dinner with them on um, Saturday night. No, Friday night. Friday night. On Friday night at NAM. And it was just awesome. They're just mm-hmm. great. I mean, those guys are awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and if you want to find the character of a person, you have a meal with them. Yeah. And they're just so cool. And it's like you just bond and you talk and you, you find out the things you have in common. And, and their product is really great. They had an amazing demo. It's like you went there and not only did they show you the difference between good cable and bad cable, they showed you the difference between the various degrees of cabling in the middle. And you can hear it. You absolutely can hear it. And I was one of those guys that was always skeptical of the whole cable thing. And, and it's just – it's well worth it. If you guys want to um, – Check out, check out their stuff. They're uh, wireworldcable.com. And, but it's really cool, and those guys are really great. So I had to give those guys a shout-out. <laughs> Rob, you, you got to give the shout-out. <laughs> oh, would you mean the shout-out to Andrew and Joanne of Dave Smith <laughs> Instruments? Right. <laughs> yes. They are so awesome. First of all, Dave Smith Instruments is great. Oh, they're the greatest. And they, we'll talk about uh, one of my favorite things of the whole NAMM show, which is yep. the OB6. Yay! But, um, I was huge over home. But it was so great seeing us. Well, guys. Joanne. Right? And we talk yes. about number one fan. She is so awesome. We love you, Joanne. <laughs> Joanne has an unhealthy appreciation of the podcast, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Just the mere sound of Mike's voice. <laughs> which is unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> Drives her into fits of craziness. But it's, it was really great. It was great. And I mean, guys. There was, that was a fun booth to be around because they had some amazing stuff to show, as well as being fans of the podcast. Well, yes. as well as having Tom Oberheim there. And mm-hmm. I got to have my picture taken with uh, Dave Smith and Tom Oberheim. At the I same missed time. that one. I was supposed to do then you ran off. I ran off? Yeah, he said, wait a minute, I'll be right back. And we were supposed to, we wait for a picture, and then you left. It's my fault. It is. It's always my fault. Those, <laughs> but you those, know what? What I saw, because I didn't know that they were going to resurrect Oberheim. Oh. And I saw that 
And I actually think I jumped up and said, yay. I tell I you, just, yeah, it's great stuff. And both, it sounded great. Both those people, they were responsible for me being here today because with the Oberheim, um, it was the very first synth that I actually saw and touched over at Goodman's Music. It was the whole OB, OBXA with the DMX drum machine and their little sequencer. And I just remember I still have an it. Oberheim expander. Oh, it was just, it's just amazing. And the then OB8, yeah. with Dave Smith and the six track, yeah. which was the first synth that I actually got to spend a lot of time with and electronic music club over at the Saddleback College. It was pretty awesome. I, st- so. I still have my Pro One and my Oberheim Expander. Man. My first two synths. I had Man. a Pro One too. Yeah. yeah. Ballsy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we got to give those guys some shout outs. Big time shout But you know what? As while we're starting there, let's start with some of the stuff that we saw. And we got to talk about the, uh, the OB6 because that... It's 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 an Overheim. It sounds like an home. It's exactly yeah. actually, in some ways, I think it sounds better. It's got that fat phasing. It sounds like what you remember it sounding like, which right. may be better than what it actually sounds like. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because some of your analog synths, you go back and go on. You think, yeah, yeah, but that it was just oh, yeah. it was just. You're right. It was it's ballsy. It has that that edge and and it just it just and and, and awesome. the thing which also I think fat is, is important was. Most of the synths that we grew up with have been modeled, you know, whether it's a mm-hmm. Turi or somebody else, and there's tons of Moogs out there, and there's half French sequential circuit stuff, but the only one that was never anywhere was Oberheim. Yeah. yeah. Nobody made anything like it. That's no, true. It was a dead synth that everybody loved. Yeah. So finally, when somebody came out with it, and now you can get that sound, because it did sound unique. And it did have that sound. I wonder at the Dave Smith booth if they if they had a poll running, or like, a lottery of how many times they thought people would step up to it and play the intro to jump from that. Because, <laughs> I mean, I was standing around the booth. I probably heard it ten times. Yeah. <laughs> but it nailed the sound. It sounded exactly uh, it, right. It's it's such a great sound. Just the whole sound. And then you just get in there and you roll off the filter a little bit and it just gets this lusciousness. It's just, it's big, fat, beefy, you know. It's a must-have. It's yeah. it's a it's a great synth. Um, so Dave Smith doing some great stuff. I'll tell you the other one, the other synth that I kind of have to give a shout-out to is the uh, the uh, Arturia, the Matrix brute. Yeah, that yeah. thing is impressive. That's just just. Even if you'd never heard it, you just look at the buttons alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a throwback to the day, you it's, know, where you were like, wow, somebody built a, a big synth. It's It was big, and it had a lot of buttons, and it did a lot of stuff, and the little sequencer. And yeah, the it's little, really fun. The little virtual patching and everything. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, there's some really good thought that's going into that. That's that's. They're doing something cool. They're doing something new. I didn't get a chance to listen to um, Yamaha's new synth, Um uh, no, I didn't either. Did you? I don't know if any of you guys actually went over. I there. tried, and it wasn't working in the phones anyway. Really? Yeah, that's wow. not good at an at an amp. <laughs> yeah, but you know, what? Also, I'll give a shout out to our Diego. Oh yeah, Diego. I saw his demo. Oh, it, it was great. great. Yeah, his demo was too. Yeah. Oh really? Oh, he did this demo, and it was you know it's 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 a demo that only Diego can give. Yeah, yeah, and it was fun and, and dramatic, and I don't know. It was, you know, his demo was awesome, and also uh, we have to talk about from Artoria. We got to give shout outs to Sean Weitzman, who first showed me the Matrix thing, and Glenn, and Glenn Darcy, Darcy yeah. who took me through a bunch of this stuff too. And Glenn's an ancient friend. of And ours. you know what's great is I went to school with Glenn. We went to uh, over Berkeley College, and we were both synth nuts at the time. And he's always been really like I mean he's always he's always wanted to be you know into synths, and then he eventually worked for Roland, and then he said I'm going to work for Turia. And I went, 
that's the place you were, you were born to be. Because now they do all these modeling of all the synths that you've loved. And when I saw the big guy, and I'm like, I, and the mini brute also. Yeah. That is so, Glenn so is such him. a, yeah, such We Glenn. should actually have him on the podcast. We he should. lives like two minutes from here. He does. He oh, just lives oh, up man. the street. Yeah, he'd be great. I'll Glenn, a, come on the podcast. Come on. I'll give, I'll give, him, I'll give him a shout. <laughs> yeah. He'd be great. Uh, well, let's get him. That would be really good. Not tonight. No, that but would be a long time. Because he'd be in his pajamas. And, yeah, we don't want that. Um, did anybody see anything um, besides the sense that. The- I saw something that was in concept um, that I thought was pretty amazing. And uh, um, one of my friends from Mix, the editor, <laughs> comes, just grabs me and says, You got to see this, Scott. You know, comes running over. And it's at the Sunhauser booth, what they created mm. was a mm. mic bar. And I, do you remember how many capsules it was? 24, I thought. It was a lot, yeah. yeah. And what it was, it looked like a rod. It just looked like this rod. And what you can do is record it and then turn it into any pattern you wanted in any direction after the fact. Now, I don't cool. know the quality of it as far as what is the characteristics of the capsules and are they bright, are they, you know, whatever. But they had a great video on where they showed you two singers facing each other with guitars and singing. And they said, okay, here it is in mono, here's in stereo, here, and here's all the different ways you can change the pattern. Can you imagine the phase issues they had to tackle oh, for something huge. like that? Yeah. And it was, it was amazing. And it's still, it's still in concept. But then you use this software device, and it also then feeds into binaural, and uh, it it was truly amazing. So much so that I'm I'm probably going to make a special trip to Sennheiser just to visit those guys because that that was pretty exciting. That's that's actually pretty cool. I mean, that's kind of where a lot of things are going with like virtual technologies, where you you capture and then you create on the processing side. Yeah. You know. And you never have to make a decision anymore. And it it uses a Matty out. But you know what I love it, you know, I want to say for sound effects, you know, music you have controlled environments and you can you can really sculpt and and, and plan how this is going to play out. What I love about it from location sound where I'm recording stuff and I'm who knows what I'm going to get. Or even live recordings. Now all of a sudden you're in instances that are uncontrollable, you don't know how they're going to play, and then you use this device and it, it gives you that ability to get something out of it, you know. Well, that's cool. That that's that's something I wish I had seen. I'll tell you one thing I saw that I thought was really cool was the Waves NX headphone system. Yeah. I know Scott's familiar with that too. That thing is really cool, where you can uh, sort of have a simulated speaker environment, and as and you put on headphones and you're in that environment, and as you turn your head. Um, it's like you're you're looking around in that space, and the speakers stay stationary in the space. It's pretty amazing. It's cheap a lot, too. A lot well, of people have been playing with it, but wh- they've what was got that? working the Waves NX. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Very, Sorry. very cool system, and very inexpensive too. Sorry, I wasn't listening because um, we were supposed to have a guest today, but he just he's still mixing. So Ugh. I'm not going to tease anything, but uh, we'll just have to reschedule him. Um, yes, we will. Yes, and let me just tell you how fortuitous for that plugin to come out. It was very. I'm just going to say that yeah. right now. Um, I'll tell you one thing that I did see, and let me see if I can find it really quick because I want to get the exact. One of the things that I saw that was really interesting, I don't know about the product, what it sounded like, but the technology was interesting, is New Tube by Korg. And what it was was a vacuum tube on a chip. 
<laughs> it comes from, it's a dual triode, and it's about the size of a, uh, oh, you know, 16 gig memory stick. Mm-hmm. And it comes from the display industry. I understand that it was the president of Roland's buddy that came up with this. So the president of Korg and the, the uh, it was direct from him. Put this in guitars, put it in amplifiers, put it in whatever, of which they did. They had a whole line of new tube type of technology. Huh. I, did, I didn't hear any of it, but it was just neat to look at. Whether oh, it goes anywhere, I don't know. Interesting idea. Well, the one thing that I saw that I actually was giving it a hard time on the last podcast was I went over the, to the Avid booth and uh, got a demo of the Pro Tools Control, the software that runs on your iPad, and I said it looked ugly, which it still kind of does. But um, I saw it running with the with the dock. And the dock's nice. The yeah. dock is – you know what? That is a great front-end for some people, that's all they're going to need as far as a hardware controller. You have one fader, and you've got all your functions on that iPad. And the iPad has faders also that are virtual faders. And since it's connected through Wi-Fi, it's not connected with a, a lightning cable or anything, you can leave your dock there. And let's say you're mixing someplace where you want to go um, for your client and check the client mix. And if you're in a bay or something like that, you can take your iPad with you, and you can do all the same control and functions. It's pretty cool. And um, it's not too often I reverse my decisions and stuff, but after seeing it and <laughs> seeing it working, I'm like, man, they've, this is really nice. It's, it's really good control over Pro Tools, and it has basically all the functions that you need and more because you can set up macros and things like that. Yeah, the cool. soft key side of it's really great. I mean, I have an S3, and I've been using the iPad. And also at home, I also have a... Um, a artist series. So I understand what that little window can do. And it is fascinating. Um, I've also been very much interested in the S6 and seeing how people use it. And a lot of times when you're actually mixing, or actually when you're actually controlling volume, and, and I did change, and I'll tell you why, you only need really sometimes one fader. Right. So what's fascinating, though, is where I draw the line between, uh, let's say, the S6 and let's say something like the S3. It's not about controllability. It's about um, how you view your tracks. On an S6, you don't need computer monitors in front of you. It gives you everything you need. The computer monitor could be off to the side. Now you've got just the mixing console that's giving you all the visual feedback you need, whether it's waveforms coming up, and, it, and, it, and it's kind of a complete package. The S3, wonderful fader pack. And, and great knobs and does some really cool stuff, but you still need your computer monitors and you need your keyboard. I think it's not as strong as a standalone device. But, you know, in post-production, a lot of times, that's all we need. So, you know, I've got two, was it, two giant 27-inch monitors side to side with an S3 and everything's angled. It's kind of cool. I'll tell you, with the, with the control, with the dock and the control and an S3, that is a really great sweet spot. That is, that is, it gives you everything you need, and it's. Not I think that sound. Expensive. I think sound design, a lot of a lot of music, and a lot of composers. Right. It's 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 perfect. 
Yeah, it seems like it's only good, optimistic, happy news out of Avid, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and say, Is that what I'm gathering? <laughs> yeah, I'm gathering, that, unless you listen to this podcast in 10 minutes. When we talk <laughs> about I mean, I the dark say, though, side. That, you know, when you look at the SX, because I've been looking at that as well, now they've got Peck Direct, now they've got Panners. Right. Now, all of a sudden, if you need to be able to control VCA and then spill it all the way up like the D-Command had, or the D-Control, where you have all the contents of that VCA, all of a sudden... If you need a quote unquote mixing console, yeah, that looks pretty cool. It's not too shabby. Well, yep. there's a there's something positive to say about uh, about Avid. But before you buy one, you may want to listen to the rest of this podcast. Just um, a little spoiler teaser. alert! Spoiler Just alert! A couple other things yeah, I want to mention. Uh, this is something I didn't see, but I heard a lot of a buzz about it. Was the uh, Yamaha Wireless MIDI adapters um, via Bluetooth? Um, I want. I'm curious to see how that works. Only reason why I say that is because back in the day, like we're talking 20 years ago, when I was touring with Teddy Riley, we had a wireless system. Yeah, and that's and all it, I'm thinking is this thing. They should call it like the stuck note or something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm sure it has to be better. It has to be better. But uh, but let me tell you, the wireless system from back then cost a fortune, and you were just praying that. A note didn't get I'll stuck. paint the scene. <laughs> the loudest string sample you've ever heard. <laughs> Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and a loss of MIDI connectivity. <laughs> yeah. And no all notes off button. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll paint another scene. <laughs> North Carolina. Greenville, North Carolina. Teddy Riley is doing a song called Teddy's Jam. Mmm. Guess who plays the lead part in Teddy's Jam? Teddy Riley does. He starts the whole thing. He has his uh, vocoder hooked up to his his uh, um, his little controller, and uh, he's hitting the keys, and nothing's happening. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, it was a solo at that time. So out yeah. comes Mike with a giant cable. <laughs> it's funny. I, 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 had, I had another one. It was with Michael Jackson, and I was asked to write an article about this. And and it was it was great because uh, they had synclaviers, and they, he was using was I think it was Synthax, and um, so they do the concert, and just random notes would come out, and they'd go, "What was that?" And, he, and and he'd go, "I I don't know," so they'd say, "Okay," then they practice, nothing happened, everything was fine. They said, "All right, with one of those things, get to the next place," in the middle of the concert, random notes just start streaming out, couldn't figure it out. Was it Mitch McCoolier, I think? Mm-hmm. So they're going through, and uh, he sat there through, he said, months. Could not figure out what was happening. They, 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 uh, they tried everything they could. They, they, they changed synclaviers, they changed synthaxes, and it would never reproduce itself. And then during concert, all of a sudden, it starts random notes. So they're sitting, and he's like, loses his mind. I say, I'm going to be fired because I, I just, I suck. So then he said, he's looking one day just by accident. And he watches a security guard hits his walkie-talkie, <laughs> and all of a sudden, at the exact time he hit the button, garbage came out. Yeah, and then it stopped. He's like, "No!" <clears throat> and they found out. Yeah, it was the RF from the. Uh, well, that's what we used to say. Like the wireless MIDI would work fine unless somebody used their garage door opener within five miles of there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, was, any kind of transmission would just jam it. I, you know what? Back, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just so important, especially since MIDI is so unforgiving. If you don't have a note off after a note on, it's not going to do anything but keep so it open. So this would have been very interesting to see from Yamaha. I actually need a wireless MIDI 
thing for uh, the misses at the moment. So. But uh, you have to imagine if it's digital, it's going to there's going to be built-in fail safes. I mean, I, I can't nowadays there has to be, it, especially over Bluetooth. That just seems like a smart idea. So I don't know. We'll see. You know what? You know what's also amazing though with the Nam show. Every Nam has a parking problem. Yes, well, I was amazed <laughs> that too. No, every 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 every, every Nam show has kind of their own version of like. It's punk or rock or, you know, funk or everybody. And one thing I noticed more, I think, this summer was, or this winter now, was uh, a lot more heavy metal. Not rock, but heavy metal. It seemed to be a little more, maybe because I was going to all the guitar places, but um, it just seemed to be. Now, the weird thing about heavy metal Heavy metal people don't quite age well. Yeah. <laughs> Men and women. So they they look good in spandex. Uh, yeah, sure. Something about a 60-year-old heavy metal person, or at least they look 60, <laughs> or 60s or maybe older. The men and the women doesn't work as much as, yeah. well as it did when they were younger. You know, hair's thinner. Yeah, and yeah metal, metal does rust eventually. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. This is the first NAMM show that... I didn't buy any Chinese microphones. So. Wow. Oh. Nothing. I, I went down there, and it was just like... You were uninspired. It was, I was totally uninspired. I bought hmm. some cables that one of them doesn't work. But, um, nice. But, you know, but you're only spending five bucks. Yeah, the the ones always look like nobody's at their booth. They just sit there, and there's a whole section of foreign people, and you just feel sorry. They're just like... You know, it's like a it's like a bloodbath Sunday afternoon though when you go downstairs to oh, Holly and everybody's just selling stuff and things are flying off the shelf and all because you're not supposed to sell your demos but everybody sells their demos. Mm. Did Nobody you see? To- did you see the big thing with all the Chinese speaker manufacturers, the light show speakers that oh, they yeah. had? No, no. The, yeah. and, and there's four or five of them. So obviously these were coming from the same factory and it was just mm. under different brands, but. Within the cone, there were LEDs that were showing light light shows, yeah, and wild. one even had half of a um, of a crystal ball on top on wow. top of the speaker. It's wow. karaoke. I I don't know why, but, <laughs> but it was a big thing for them anyway. It's karaoke. It's a karaoke nightmare, basically. Uh. I mean, that's. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyhow, overall, I thought Nam was relatively good. Uh, it, didn't, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was just it was good. But everybody seemed happy. Um, even though they said the attendance was up, it seems certain days were a little lighter than than normal, especially um, in the corners that we were, which was around you know API and then Avid. And, and it seems like Thursdays are now a happening day where oh, there man. used to be nothing. Right, right. right. it's like. Thursday and Friday were just hopping. Yeah. Saturday was hopping to a certain point, but boy, parking was horrible there. People yeah. were having a hard time getting in. I, I know people who didn't go because they didn't want to deal with it. They usually go, you know, all three or four days, and right. they only went one day. So anyway, that's our NAM report. If you want to read more about NAM, just Google <laughs> "Best of 2016" and you'll you'll read a lot of stuff that we didn't cover. Um, so I want to talk about that. But speaking of uh, of Avid, and uh, let's move on really quick. Um, they had another round of layoffs. Um, dum, dum, dum. And, you know, it, I read your post on your uh, Music 3.0, and I think you said some pretty great things about Avid and about a public company that doesn't know its market versus, you know, a, a company that knows audio. And, and um, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but I think uh, 
Well, a public company doesn't belong in the audio industry or the music industry for that matter because it's a niche industry. So therefore, the, the primary goal of a public company is to please its stockholders, not its customers, its stockholders, which means continual growth. You can't have that in a industry that's so small like mm-hmm. ours. So that's why it never works. Yeah. So that's why Avid is having problems now, and the, the layoffs are basically to appease their stockholders. They got rid of some pretty important people, though. Yeah, heavy-duty people. I mean, that's all I'm going to say. It's scary. Yeah. scary. I, I, they, they got rid of, in some ways, some of these people were kind of the soul of, of a lot of stuff. And, and what's really amazing is when I read your post about um, – being beholden to the stockholders, it's you're right. We need someone who is going to cater to the customer because, mm-hmm. as artists and as creative types, we're not normal. <laughs> you know, it's it's not but, like. But it's like that for boutique manufacturers. Uh, I had dinner with the guys from Mag, M A G. The they make the equalizers with the airband and everything. Yeah, I right. know. And. and I walked away thinking, you know, these guys are, they, they paraphrase the, or they, they epitomize the music business, the boutique audio business, in that they were so into what they did, all they wanted was the best to go out the door. The president listened to every single device yeah. before it went out and burned it in. They got their own custom pots made, but that still wasn't good enough. So they would test them and they would put them in 54 different boxes. So they always had exact matches. That's, that's and, and, phenomenal. And they basically had the attitude, we don't care if we have to work other jobs to make ends meet as long as we'd make the best stuff. But you know what? That's about the same for most boutique manufacturers. They're, they know they're not going to make a lot of money. So they're just in it for the love of it. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, for- but even companies that do make money, you know, on the next level, like the Neves or the APIs and things like that, they care about the customer experience and they care about, you know, just from me being around API, for instance, those yeah. guys are really good with with customer service and yeah. and you know, if you go to the trade show, you can talk to the head man himself, and they're really. They care about audio. They want to get it right, but they also there's a, a there's a they take care of their customers, and yeah. and I think that's where public companies have a hard time seeing the value. Well, Avid now, especially since most of the people who let go were in R and D and customer service, that, that's pretty. Which bad. is ridiculous because there's bugs in in Pro Tools software that are, are well known. There's there's customer service is horrible. If you go online, you just read nothing about, but. Angry people trying to get responses to some of their, their well, problems. What about the fact that now you have people subscribing to software that who knows if it's going to be? That's developed. the hard part. Is like, hey, everyone spent all this money, they're on a subscription, and nobody knows on the R and D side, right? What's going to happen now? Yeah. Well, what I heard was they got a new Avid got a new CTO who's not from the music business, but was going to show everybody how it's done yeah. in the music business. So that's scary in itself. Yes, because. Let me tell you about CTOs that aren't familiar with it. With As ever, chief technology officer. Right. 
with whatever industry they're in, it's nothing but a disaster because they're usually arrogant because they think they can change something. And usually they don't have an understanding, so they don't know what to change or what not to change. You know, I, I'm the CTO of Peer Active Incorporated. I just thought I'd point that out. <laughs> <laughs> so guilty as charged. Just, just thought I'd point that out. No, wait, but you can also I, call you a chief engineer. Right, I'm just saying my business card says CTO. Or the chief scientist. But here's the thing, you know, you understand, you know your needs and you know how it works. If you're, if you're a CTO coming into an industry that you know nothing about, what do they know about workflow? What do they know about even simple little things like how do you network a bunch of Pro Tools systems together? It's different if you're a founder. Definitely. You gotta know your industry. That's true. Right. That's true. It's like, you know, why, how do, what do they know about their competitors? All right. Because if you're going to stay on this track and you're going around this track, if you don't know what your competitors are doing, guess what? One of these days you're going to hit a wall and you're not going to know why. And you know why you're going to hit that wall? It's because one of your competitors totally leapfrogged you and caught you blindsided. Every show, trade show I go to, I expect the Pro Tools killer to be there. And it's not. And it's not. What? You know, uh, well, it's, there it's is. Absolutely. It's called Avid. This is why you're here in person, Rob. <laughs> you're, you're way more funnier. You guys just keep giving me good <laughs> setups. Hold on. Good setup Let's just drop that mic right now. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you next time. <laughs> but um, no, but I, I'm with you. There's, there's no, I keep waiting, right? It's like, Simple little things, you know, being able to do clip-based gain and pan, you know, small things, you know, that keep Avid and Pro Tools at the forefront. That just the mixing architecture of of Pro Tools. Pro Tools is a great program to mix in. It's a great program to edit in. And I'm with you. I'm like, where are these are these killers? You know, it doesn't seem like it's that hard to to knock them off. There's, they're getting close. Let me tell you, I'll tell you one that's really cool. Um, is, uh, I went over and I talked to the guys over at, uh, I'll tell you, um, wave machine labs. They're the ones that do Aria, right? I went and I had, I went and talked to them and we're just talking and just some of the things that, that iOS is going to be doing is really going to open up a lot of really cool things. For instance, audio units three, which is basically, an iOS plugin format that is going to be huge. You know, be able to to purchase plugins now for um, the DAW of your choice on the iPad. And if you look at Aria on an iPad Pro, it's gorgeous. You know, it, there's still little things they need to do. And like, what is what is, for for the listeners? What is that? What is I, a the, it's Aria the, is a what? Aria is a DAW. It's a digital audio workstation. On the Aria Pro is there. It's like fifty bucks. It's on the iPad. It's awesome and for it's what really it is. Really good. It, it's awesome. It's really good. Yeah. I mean, it's really good. And it's the question is, what do you what do you mix on it? I mean, anything. I mean, literally. And you know what? It supports like you know iOS now supports drives, so you can hook up drives to it. You actually have a video playback that you can do use along with it. It's but what what would your sources? Well, see, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I, I always look at an iPad and go. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not saying it's practical right no, no. now, oh, but right. it will do it, and it's very cool. It, sure. Look, it, it, your sources are – you can get stuff into it with Dropbox, or if you hook it up to a 24-track, you know, a 24-channel interface, you can record, you mm-hmm. know, providing you have enough uh, room on your uh, on your iPad. You can record audio straight into it. 
it's for a small little thing. I've mixed something on an airplane with it. That's why I'm such a huge fan of. I talk about it's it all beautiful. the time. Beautiful. It was it was so fast and quick, and you know, and I couldn't believe what I was doing on an airplane. And I was using their built-in plugins, so I had my you know fab filter and the, I had the, stuff. The guys from PSP did all that stuff. Did all the processing. Yeah. It's it's great, and I just see PSP is really good. I yeah. see something like that, especially what we're going to talk about on the on the back end of of this podcast um, after the break. There's stuff that's coming, but as of right now, there's nothing that, you know, maybe that will or will not, or maybe it's going to be something else that's going to evolve on the iPad or whatever. But I can definitely see that coming down the road. But right now, I'm with you. Where, where is that? You know, that be, before I forget, talking about P- PSP, which make great plugins, they made the highlight of the show for me. And, and I had this before the, the show, but that's where they introduced it. It was the EMT 245 reverb. They call it the 2445 because it's a combination of the 244 and 244, 245. Now, what that was was a smaller version of the EMT 250. But all I can tell you is the plug-in is beautiful. It sounds great out of the box without doing anything. It works on everything. If you want a reverb that just works, this is it. And plus it will do a couple things that other reverbs really have a hard time doing. For instance, like uh, uh, first reflections, high first reflections on guitars. I always like to use this where you turn the decay time all the way down, the first reflection all the way up, and it gives you just this cool sound that you've heard on records before but digital reverbs have a tough time reproducing and, and this is that's fabulous hmm. really i'll have to check that out yeah. but like i said bobby i mean maybe is it because reaper doesn't have a booth over it over it now i mean yeah. reaper's getting a lot but even then that's still not necessarily the answer i mean there's small little things that every daw does or doesn't do that kind of keeps it from breaking through. I know, for instance, like on uh, on Aria Pro, and I talked to these guys, I said, I need a way to take a stereo track and to split it into two mono mm. tracks. You know, whether that's an offline render thing or something, because on Pro Tools, you can just drag it up to two monos and there you go. Um, because a lot of times, if I'm working with something or I get some stems or something, it's going to come in two mono tracks are going to be married together as a stereo track, and then I have to break them apart. So simple little things like that, that just... It's, you know. it's still amazing that Yamaha hasn't figured out how to give Nuendo the proper marketing treatment it needs. Because Nuendo does all the stuff yeah. that we ever talk about feature-wise. Can you do clip-based uh, mm-hmm. panning and things like that? Sure. Maybe I'll have to give it another look. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's the thing. Then why the heck isn't it's purely it... purely a marketing... Why isn't, why isn't it out there? But you know what? Nuendo's not exactly cheap either, though. It's like... Twenty five hundred bucks. Is it that much? Is it that much? Is it? It's yeah. I thought, I thought it was I, like I, eight I, or nine hundred. Oh, I. I so twenty five hundred dollars. No, Nuendo for DAW. Nuendo. I mean, oh, it's yeah. like you know when the days of Waveframe and I mean it was yeah, hundreds yeah, yeah. of thousands, and now everyone's like you know I want it to be nine hundred dollars. You're right. It's uh, well, let's see whatever the Steinberg Nuendo. It's it's down to it's down to eighteen hundred bucks. Ooh. But that's still that's just the software itself, and then I, I mean, at least the one thing we can say about Pro Tools is that being that it's coming from one company, at least you knew if you were going to get a Pro Tools system, you're kind of it's the ecosystem in. with the right. hardware. It's the yeah. whole thing, so it's not just the software; it's the whole kit and caboodle. So it's I don't the whole know. Apple thing, except yeah. And it, yeah, I find sometimes I find the thing about Nuendo didn't necessarily turn me off, but I, I stopped using it was um, 
just to change certain parameters, it was just seemed like I have to go through a lot to find whatever specific thing I was trying. It's to whatever do. you get used to. Yeah. So that for I've me, I've seen people fly on Nuendo. It's, well, Bobby does. Bobby does. I, and I mean, Cubase. Do. I I do. I more use Cubase. I mean, Nuendo is Cubase plus a few a few post features, so you can get into the Cubase universe way cheaper. And See, get all the same work but done. There's a good example. I mean, you wonder why they just don't put it together as one product and and just market the bejeebies out of it. Well, it's for two different industries. I mean, yeah, Pro Tools manages to cross both industries. But the truth is, Pro Tools, it's not like Pro Tools is a great uh, editing paradigm. I mean, you're always calling up the wrong tools. You're always stepping through tools. Well, there, there's a lot of kludgy clunkiness to Pro Tools. It caught on for reasons beyond there, it being awesome. Right, but there there is definitely, I mean, I'll tell you what, thing that Pro Tools fails absolutely is clip organization. Yeah, and track I mean, organization. That's, that's I mean, it's just, a joke. That's just, yeah. that's crazy. There's no folders. Yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, no, yeah. like, that's yeah. right. No like saying, wow, when was the last time fold? I mean, and, why, were- and why can't we have subsessions within a session? If I'm always going to have this opening, I don't want to bounce it down. Just let me have a little subsession. This is always going to be the open. Yeah. And why can't it play that? And I don't have to worry about it. And then if I need to move it because the because the opening sequence is different, which is exactly what I had to do in this last animated show that I mixed. You know, the opening stayed the same, but it was in a different spot every single time. Mm. So. Rather, why can't I just make a little subsession on that and then move it to wherever I need to move it? And then I well, always you have can the same. in Cubase or Nuendo. I know, I know, and I know those, that's what I was saying. That it's mm-hmm. like you know. Anyway, <sighs> wow, <laughs> we could go on and on and on, but I'm not going to. <laughs> well, I mean, it's very depressing because Pro Tools is the standard. We all use it. We all wish it did things that now we're all questioning whether it ever will do. It's just really uncertain times. I, I, yeah, I just feel bad for um, you know for the families and you know these are real people and there's you know every time you see someone's losing a job there's there's stories behind it. There's, I hear there's going to be more more layoffs as well. Yeah, that's yeah. you know we'll we'll see what happens. The best best case scenario is um, somebody you know goes in and, and buys it, right? I mean that to me we see if if an audio company okay, goes in. I, I want to put it out. I want Adobe to buy it. Because you think about all the companies that are too big, like a Sony or an Apple, Adobe's featured for very small segments of an industry. Hmm. Whether and I think that they don't have an audio solution. Yeah, yeah, they do. Well, not real. I mean, if, but using Premiere Audio. Uh, um, no, they do have an audio application, yeah, but it's yeah. not. It's not like. But what I'm saying is, if there's a comp- if there's a company out there that that does that kind of thing, that kind of is head of boutique industries, it's kind of Adobe. That, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. That's Rather not, than somebody so big that they don't care. No, that's. But that's, here, you, again, you have a, a public company. Yeah, that's true. But at least it's a public company. That's, but so is Yamaha and, and those guys, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I think hey. they're privately held, aren't they? Before, before we go, because we're going to take a break right now, but before we go, I just got to say this. <laughs> just to show you just the whole avid mentality, it's. This is all going on, and I get this email about their Avid Connect over at NAB, <laughs> you know, where you pay like 300 bucks so that you can go and listen to them go rah, rah, rah. And, Ugh, and maybe. It's so be, hateful. I, you know, I'm so tempted to want to go and then just because there's a, a session where it questions and answers and you can talk to the powers that be. Man, could you imagine if I went to that? Oh. <laughs> 
That actually might be entertaining. <laughs> I don't know if it's three hundred dollars entertaining. I don't know that, but uh, oh man. Anyhow, all right. Well, we're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about some cool stuff on the other side, and I'm just going to tease it with that. So uh, we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break, we were talking all things NAM, and then it evolved into Pro Tools. <laughs> um, but... Um, but having said that, uh, we're going to totally change tracks right now. We're going to go and we're going to talk about something that um, basically this conversation stemmed from a, a job that I just finished, and that's mixing in VR. That's VR mixing. And specifically, I'm talking about VR video. Um, now, the difference between VR video and, let's say, VR in an application is as how audio is handled. And what is um, VR again? We should back up. For virtual reality. Virtual yeah. reality. Um, this is, you know, well, it's the Oculus, it's, it's all the different, the Vive, all the different companies that are out there. I actually did a project for, um, Samson gear and, um, which one can you say gear VR? Uh, I, I can't say yet, but in, uh, let's see, it's this, it's in 16 days, you'll be able to see it in, um, are you using, every are you using store. Unity? No, no, this was a straight video. And and that's why I want to talk about what the the workflow and, and VR audio because what this was is this wasn't uh, an application based this wasn't Unity this wasn't Unreal this was literally a three sixty degree oh, video yeah. um, with um, sweetening that I had to do and it was shot um, silent so I had to add all the sound effects I had to add create all the environments and. I got the job um, because I was recommended from a friend of mine to this particular client. And they, um, at that time, hadn't picked anybody for the job. And so I said – and they called me actually the week of NAM, And I said, man, I can't, I can't do anything. I'm locked in. And I go, if you haven't found anybody, if you haven't awarded the bid, I'd, I'd love to, you know, to work on it. But I can't talk to you until Monday. And they didn't find anybody because <laughs> there wasn't really anybody who had who had done a lot of this stuff. So we talked on Monday, and I I got the uh, I got the the job, and then I had to figure out how to do it. Now, there's a few things I want to tell you about um, VR and VR audio. Number one, um, it's vastly different from the gaming side because in the gaming side of things, and, and Scott, you you know about this, um, you know. Gaming is engine-based. You put a lot of the workload on the engine. The engine's going to – you basically define your audio as objects, and then the engine itself is going to play the audio based on parameters of where you're at, what you're doing, whatever. The engine has the ability to add reverbs and add effects and, and do all kinds of stuff, correct? Correct. Um, VR 360 video is kind of like mixing for a movie. Um, it's basically a five a five one mix that's married to your 360 video, and then 
essentially what the player does is it just pins it. So it pins your speakers um, in place with your video. So that as you move your head, your 5-1 mix stays where it's at, but your head moves. So you get the illusion of surround and you get the illusion of things being around you. And actually it's not an illusion because you place things. But it's fun. It's not even, you know, it's not even necessarily five one. It's actually a box of quad. Because if you think about it, you know, you're dealing because you're only dealing with two headphones. Right. So a lot of times when you look at it, you're looking at boxes of twos. Right. But you got to remember there's also above you and below you. Yeah. So, you know, and then what's always interesting, though, is what happens when you're between the two boxes? Yeah. Well, in the situation that I was working with, the actual player takes the 5-1 stems and the 5-1 stems that you output from Pro Tools, and it actually pins it so that your center is your center and you've got your two ends and you've got your two rears, which is actually really kind of cool because it doesn't, if you're used to a surround workflow, it keeps a lot of things the same. But there's a couple things that, that um, the reason why I'm really excited about VR audio because it kind of changes a lot of things. Um, first of all, one of the things, one of the misconceptions that I had about virtual reality audio was the fact that um, you hear all this stuff about binaural and you hear all this stuff about how great binaural is, and and actually, it's not that great for mixing against 360 video. The reason why it's not that great is because binaural audio places you in an orientation to your field. So sure if you're if you're if you're pinned to as an audience member and you're looking at something, yes, binaural audio, you know, can can create that illusion. But then as soon as you move your head, if that orientation still stays where it is, right? Then it it's it's false. Here's a really good example. You know, you, you see something binaural and let's just say you have somebody and it sounds like they're talking from behind your ear because they're going up and they're whispering. Disney used to have something that did that, right? They did this thing with the, um, in the Lincoln Theater and you put on headphones and it sounded like the person was over your, your shoulder. Um, but as soon as you turn around, <laughs> it still <laughs> sounds like it's over your shoulder, right? It's still following you. It's not, it, it's not going to sound the same. So, um, what works actually better is, is more of an ambisonic recording that kind of defines your environment. So it, you can change your orientation and the ambisonic kind of creates this dome. I know this is sound really kind of boring and technical, but let me just get through a few of these things really quick. Um, anyhow, all this to say is I had to, I had to create all these sound effects and all this stuff for virtual reality audio. Everybody is is trying to get into the VR game. There's a lot of work out there. There's a lot of work that's going to be coming for this kind of stuff. And I'm not talking gaming. I'm talking about video. I'm talking about movies and things of that nature. Um, so I'm going to give you guys a few things that I found out that should help you should you come across this. Number one, the best way to mix VR audio believe it or not, is, is with headphones. Because what your speakers sound like and the way it's going to be played back, which is always going to be in headphones, are night and day. And I found that out. I tried to stay in this absolute sweet spot. And I, and I first started this whole thing out, and I was just like kind of pretending and trying to imagine um, this was a travel log. So I had like waves and I had oceans and I had things like that. And then when I put the headphones on, it was 
when it was playing back the test mix that I did, it, it was it sounded totally different. You lose all that room that you have um, when you go into your headphones. It it gets interpreted a different way. Couldn't you start your mix that way and then? And- I, absolutely, yeah, and, and I did. I I started mine that way, but <laughs> I was fortuitous enough to think there has to be a better way to do this. And Waves came out with a great plugin. Waves came out with the NX plugin. And what the NX plugin allows you to do is it allows you, they say it allows you to have a virtual mixing environment. So like if you're mixing in 5.1, you can put your headphones on and you can add ambience and you can have this whole total um, 5.1. It's like you're working in this virtual 5.1 studio. And it also tracks your head if you <laughs> if you have a, a camera on your laptop as you move it it will move it will move it actually keeps the mix same the same but you can move and your head around and it'll change the sound depending on how you're you know where you're orientated to um so that was really cool because what i did is i used that and i took a ton of that ambience away and i moved the sound as close as possible to my ears and it came really dang close to what it sounded like after your 5.1 gets interpreted to the surround thing that the VR player does. Um, and that plugin's only 50 bucks. If right you, now, anyway. Right now. Yeah. What that means is if you want to get into mixing VR, right, you can get a laptop <laughs> and you can get a $50 plugin, keep your 5.1 workflow, and get into mixing VR. What headphones were you using? Uh, that's another good one. I, I tried two different pairs. I have some AKG 240Ms. Um, and I thought, you know what? I want a really nice, flat-sounding pair of headphones. Um, the problem was, is they had a little bit too much low end on them. Um, and what were they? The the headphones, the two forty M. Oh, two forty M's. Yeah. Um, so I actually ended up just using the V sixes, and the uh, and they sounded good. You just, just can't use the beat. <laughs> I had clients do this said, wow, it's kind of a lot of low end on this. And I'm like, what are you using? I said, you're not using beats. And they all went, uh. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, you know what? What's going to happen is they're going to, you know, people are going to be listening to these on, you know, they're not going to listen on great headphones. They're going to listen on earbuds. And I tested it on earbuds and they're going to be listening to it on, on cheap headphones, mainly earbuds, if you think about it, because that's kind of like the de facto standard for anything mobile. People are going to. Pop in their earbuds, and this is actually for the Samsung Gear VR. I'm sure things will change once you get into the, uh, you know, bigger, better systems. But the Gear VR, um, yeah, it's going to be earbuds. So I bought that plugin, spent fifty bucks, had my laptop. Then I was looking for software to to play stuff, like not just panning, but now you want spatial. You want you want to emulate, you know placing where things are and you want that what Scott was telling you about the up and the down and you want the the near and the far <laughs> and if you go to Oculus's website they got a great plugin to do that for free hmm. it's in their their SDK for their audio <laughs> it was like it and was like, SDK is software development kit yeah. it was and it's literally a plugin for free you can it runs on pro tools 11 and above you put that in there, and now your sound source, they, it has a little head, and you can change it from the, the XY and the YZ or whatever. There's two, there's up and down or back and front. So now you, for 50 bucks, and then this free plugin, I basically 
had tools along with all my other tools to to now do VR mixing in my laptop. And what does that mean? That means I was able to take my laptop and go to my client because I don't need the fancy studio now. I don't need all the acoustic treatment. I need a pair of headphones in my laptop and I can go straight to the client. Another hour in, uh, arrow in the heart of recording studios. I, <laughs> it's true. I mean, you know, well, I will say one thing because I, I also have had some experience with VR. And, you know, reality sometimes is boring. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Is that when you listen, uh, I think the human normal way you hear, I call it um, uh, 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 wide mono. Because it's basically things like when you go to a movie theater and, you know, and something flies over your head. And you go, wow, that was amazing. You don't hear that way. You actually don't hear in that same way because there are emitters, basically speakers, that are, are playing behind you. So when you listen naturally, you know, you don't hear birds coming from the left, flying over your head, going to the right. You don't turn around because you hear something. They're, they're sort of there. They're not. It's kind yeah, of like this spatial mono. Yeah. You know, and if you think like it's almost like if you, if you know microphones, it, like there's the XY pattern and the ORTF. Mm-hmm. And I like wider because I like it much more hyped. I like to be taken somewhere audio that is more than what you hear. It's like hyper hearing. Same way visually when we see an Iron Man flying through the, through the sky. So the interesting thing is the question asks artistically, do you want to play everything the way you hear? Or do you want to play something, especially in VR, in a way that gives you information? And why I mean that is I did um, the Pacific Rim VR experience. And what was neat was I wanted the audience to guide them to look at different places at different times to be able to enhance the experience. Because one of the things that doesn't exist anymore in VR is camera cuts. Right. So now there's no longer cuts. You don't cut to you, cut to you, cut to you. Cut yeah. to. So the question is, how do you guide a listener to where you want them to go? Well, you need to be spatially to kind of go on the left side, hey, follow me. And they look to the left, and they go to the left. They go, look, there's a door. Let me go down there. Same thing with a movie and a 360 experience where you want to be able to Make the audience look around where you want them. You want to guide them through the process and not let them just wander aimlessly, which is another form of entertainment. No, that's that's. But what you're saying is huge because actually, in in VR audio, um, you're 100 percent right, Scott. It's it you you get your cues off your off your audio. Audio uh, plays we, a huge role, and we found that out as I was working on this project. Is I actually had to do certain little cues to make the person look. You know, you want to make it interesting. I'm with Scott, and it's it's not specific. You don't you don't want another reality. You want a little a fudge fact. You want it to be like a hyper reality, yeah. like certain things you want to trigger so that they they turn their head. And what I don't like is there's so many buzzwords: binaural, ambisonics. And what's interesting is yes, I, the mix has got to be binaural. And I'm like, yeah, that's one of the tools in the, in the tool chest. But the problem is. If you have everything colorful and you no, have, no longer have white and black, there's no contrast. So you've got to be able to compare something against something to be able to hear the difference. 
And you know, I listen to some of the binaural stuff. It's always, look, we're in a big open room, and it yeah. sounds like a big old reverb, and you've got depth of field, which is great. I say, great, let's try to go outside. Let's see how that works. Yeah. And they're like, uh, that doesn't work. And it's too pinned to a perspective. It, it is. It is. You're, you're, you're pinned to that person at that angle looking at that direction. And the other part is it's almost like when you hear – I've seen video, just like eight, not, not high-def video, but high-end video. And when they see like a, a master or when they hear audio off of a half inch, it just sounds so much better. You know, you put a, a pair of Sheps out there and you put some headphones on and you, you'll swear it's 3D because the depth of field and the imaging is so amazing. Yeah. But by the time we processing it to the point and, and, and encode it and modify it, it doesn't sound like anything like that. So I think that's interesting as, as we talk about the users and people that want to experience Understand mono, understand placed mono, understand all the tools in the tool chest to figure out how to best create an experience and tell a story. You know, like that's exactly right. It's you're telling stories, and if anything, in, in VR, audio is. I mean, always been really important, but it's it's even more important because sometimes it's the only thing that a director can use to cause a person to do something, either turn around or, or look at something. I'll tell you a few things, just a couple of tips that I learned is if you're going to get into binaural audio, um, you want to make your, your sounds interesting. So don't get your background. Okay. Your background, let's say you have a nice stereo background of a city. You know, you just don't want to put it, pan it out to all four speakers equally because you want the viewer to be able to shift, you know, and to, to feel something move. And really, a good thing that I just kind of developed myself through this project is that is my audio um, bed, I, I kind of separated the front from the back. I figured if I'm going to make the backgrounds a little interesting, um, I want to have a front background and I want to have a back background, um, even if it's just a little subtle change so that um, – so I, I take – I get my backgrounds and I make sure my front background sounds a little different than my back background. And I figured in real life, that's kind of what happens. The way you hear your your ambience from the front sounds a lot different than what you kind of hear behind you. So I, I just kind of created this little front speak, front facing. I said, okay, I just want to make this a little different from the back. Not radical. So it's not like I'm going to have birds and forest on one end and <laughs> city street on the other. But I definitely wanted, I, I want a little separation there so that when you turn your head, you feel like you're, you're turning in a, in a world. It feels a little different. And that's only because I didn't have any, you know, ambisonic or any of the uh, multi surround um, tools to capture any of this stuff with. Yeah. W- wouldn't it make sense though, if you're recording that to record it that way, where you're looking this way with the microphones and you're looking this way as well, and up and down. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can capture it, but I was working from yeah, you're working uh, from a, a stereo. <laughs> I'm working and, uh, and flat, I only flat, had exactly. Yeah. I had a, I had a, I had a, I didn't have anything. So I'm trying to recreate these things, and so you you start. The fun thing is, is you start thinking of audio differently. You know, you start thinking about. For instance, here's another thing. You know, stereo sound effects, they don't work anyhow when you're doing a lot of um, TV or features and things like that because it's a very mono world, but they really don't work in VR. Yeah, yeah. everything's mono. Everything's spaced mono or placed mono. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let me ask you a question. So I've, I've only seen two VR projects. I, my 
let us see his uh, nearly finished product before we went on the air here. And I saw another one at NAM, which Yamaha had in their booth, which was um, Steve Gadd playing. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting, but both of these projects, you were in the air, kind yeah. of above everything. Yep, yep. So interesting perspective. You're looking down, and one of the things that was disconcerting to me is, you know, which, when, by the way, as somebody who's about five foot seven, what a great feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but it's disconcerting when you look down and you don't see your feet is kind of funny. And also, I found that it, I I was afraid to move, you know, for fear of falling. But that's not the question. The question would be, would you record stuff below you if that's the case? You're if you're in the air, of course, you're going to do a top mic, but would you want to record a bottom mic as well? It depends on what's below you. And I think that one of the things that, you know, I, I have many discussions with my clients in VR, and that is in VR visual, you don't see a sphere. You see only what's in front of you. You acknowledge what's around you, but you don't necessarily see it. So why do I want to hear it? In other words, do I really want to hear everything around me at the same volume? No. So you want to be able, like visuals, to focus. But if you move up or down... So the question becomes, what's below you? Yeah. So if you're watching a drummer play and you're just looking at, at at a floor, there's nothing to see. There's nothing to tell. However, I'm going to use go to pack room. When you're in a suit and you look below you and there's gears, there's something unique below you that's nowhere else, then I want to see it. I want to say I want to hear it. But when I'm no longer looking at it, I don't want to hear it. So at that point, it is object-based where you go in. So if you, let's say, are looking behind you and there's an ocean and you turn around, a VR 360, and you say, great, I acknowledge there's an ocean behind me. I don't necessarily need to hear it. It's behind me. I know it's, I mean, you'll hear something. Well, the thing is that there's a fundamental difference between how your field of vision and your field of hearing work. Obviously, if something's out of your field of vision, if something's behind you, you literally do not see it at all. But you do still hear it. Right. You know, uh, it, it's, so it's, it's always a balancing act because it could be overwhelming. Right. But the question is, yes, you can hear it. And that's kind of what binaural is all about and ambisonics. The question is, do I want you to hear it? Do I want you to care? Unless you say, hey, I want to look behind me. To see what's there. Well, here's the thing, too. If you, it is subtle how you make those changes. In video, and this isn't for gaming, but in video, if you you need to voice it because you really don't have control as to when someone is going to be looking up or down, right? So if something significant is happening below, right, it it just needs to be voiced in a way so that when a person does look at it, it's there. But when they're not looking at it, they can still hear it. But not in the same way. But but yeah, right. Yeah. Well, yes. There's not, a realism there. That there's. I'll tell you the only way it doesn't sound the same way is when you in in video. Okay, I'm not talking about in in gaming, but in video, if you when you rotate, right? Because essentially, it's taking your five one mix, and you don't have as much of the um, the latitude of the height. That you do in in gaming because in gaming you can look up and you can change your perspective, but when they're taking your five one mix and just pinning it, you don't have that height 
you can use some of the tools that Oculus has to to put it up there all the time, but it's 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 not going to change. Your audio is not going to change this way as much as as this way. It's it's going to stay relatively in the same plane. But really, if you look up at something, it doesn't make it louder. No, exactly. No, and what happens is your ears follow your eyes. So if you're at the NAMM show and everyone's talking the same volume, and you turn around, you actually hear the people in front of you. The cocktail effect. The cocktail effect. So now if someone's loud behind you, and then you turn around because they just, you know. But what happens is, because your eyes follow your ears, you've got to let your ears follow your eyes. So what happens is, because in VR, there's no way to control what you hear. Meanwhile, in real life, you can. Your ears focus based on the way your eyes are going. So we, what we do is we kind of help the, the, the audience yeah. in See, VR. That's why the next step beyond VR is implants. So you can, <laughs> so you can actually have your eyes so you actually, Yeah, I'll tell you, one thing um, in the project that I worked on, it had a, a narrator. And so I, I started experimenting with placing the narrator. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's... It, you know, in regular flat video, you stick it in the center and it's, it works really good. But I'm just sitting here and did a couple tests in the center and you turn around and the narrator's moving as you're turning and that just gets kind of annoying. And what I ended up doing was essentially putting it, placing it right above the, the yeah. uh, viewer's head. So it was actually talking down and it came out of all speakers. So, that was the only thing that didn't change as you spun around was the, the narrator always kind of stayed really kind of consistent. So little things like that is, is – and you would never do that in a regular 5-1 mix. You'd pin it to the front, right? But and, in the, and there's a big problem which, which we found in, in, in plain VR or experience VR. Okay, you can control your, your uh, panning reference in your head. Okay, so you can look left, right, up, and bottom. But what you don't actually do – is actually move forward or back. Now, what happens is when you're looking left and right and they decide to move you, <laughs> we're going to walk you down this path. Mm. And you're going left and right. Uh, the first thing that happens is a psychological thing that your stomach starts flipping. And it is a big deal in VR because ultimately people can't be on it for hours. They'll just they'll lose their marbles. So... Um, there's other goggles that are also starting to analyze the eye pupil mm. to figure out when you are starting to go into that place and they can skew it. So what they're doing is it's, it's an active VR situation where they are trying to understand what your brain is starting to feel so they can compensate for it. In a game, uh, when someone is walking somewhere, would you be putting footsteps in as well so you can hear that? And again, no. I, I, I'm talking uh, actually, about here, here's the, the stuff below you. That's uh, it's kind of like first-person shooter, mm -hmm. like a video game. Yeah. Um, it, the question becomes, what is the goal? So between a first-person shooter, whether it's VR or a big TV, it's the same. Mm -hmm. The question becomes, yes, you can hear you. So the only time I'd want to hear myself creatively is when I don't want to hear myself. Let's say I'm trying to be sneaky mm. and hear tap, tap. I'm like, shit. I'm way too loud. However, if I'm in battle or if I'm doing something of a challenge, I need again to be focused on what the task is. So do I want to hear my footsteps? Who cares? I want to figure out where my enemies are. I want to use information as a tool to be able to um, get through the experience.
And that's the creative part, which and, is great. Now, in 360 video, the video that I just finished, we we absolutely voiced the footsteps. We, we used the, I actually had a Foley guy to walk the Foley for the whole thing because, A, it was all mono, and it was a great way to to create the illusion of 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 space, right? You see a guy walking in, coming in from your left and coming in, you know, just a little bit of, of Yes, steps. but I'm talking about your steps if you're right. moving somewhere. Right. Well, the good thing about the project that I worked on is I wasn't moving. Yeah, I was you know, I was thinking about that too because there was one shot that was moving um, and it was this bicycle shot. It was the bike shot, right, where the, the camera's moving. Um, and so what I did is I I put a little bit of bike sound right down the middle, mono, that that wouldn't change, and then my my ambiences were very big, so I kind of faked it, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Yeah. You heard the other bikes, and they kind of stayed similar. Although one bike went from behind um, left to the right, but you know, and I just followed them on a pan, and I, I voiced another bike who she mainly stayed in the front, but then I put the I put a a mono like bike sound right in the middle so that kind of stays consistent so that at least people in their mind you know had a point of reference but scott you know what you were saying about things changing i i was thinking the exact same thing it's like man if you're working on a video and you can't control doppler because you don't know which direction you know the doppler would come from depending on how the person is experience it just it, it starts blowing your mind. But when it's, all these it's things very come cool. Up. It's an it, it, we we're so far along in what we do with stereo and five one for that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That now th- this is a, a new realm where oh. where where these things are all being written. And you know, interesting is that for me, it's my two worlds coming together. Mm-hmm. It's video games, which has always been object-based audio, which people go, oh my God, Atmos. I'm like, I've been doing this for 20 years, yeah. 30 years, um, as well as storytelling. So it's fascinating, the two industries that are merging. What's fascinating with 360 uh, VR is in games, even though it looks like a, a flat piece of video, it could be hundreds of depths of, of individual pieces that when you look at it, it all looks like it's flat. Like in, in, but they're actually all separate things. So the arms are different than the legs and the backgrounds are moving and the person's not. You know, there's all these tricks of video. But when you shoot actually flat video uh, and you put it into VR, it doesn't know the content. The, it doesn't know what's inside the content. It just says, I'm stitching together the square and the ceiling square and the front square and all these squares. So it's interesting that we've been talking about is and I think people are going to create it, is technology that's invisible to you. That's, think of it as a mesh, an invisible mesh that goes over the picture that you can hook. Say, oh, I want to, oh, there's a person. Well, there's a bird. And I want to identify that that is a bird, and am I going to pan it? Not audio-wise, but visually. Mm-hmm. So I can say, I want to uh, 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 identify this specific visual. Let's say it's simple. We're doing the podcast now. Each one of us would be within a mesh to be identified. That's Mike, that's Rob, all the different people. So then as you turn around, because it doesn't know, it just sees a wall, it sees a desk, it doesn't know it's Rob, it's just a visual. So now if you put an invisible mesh on top of it, you can track it. And I can hook audio to it. Yeah, I, that, that would be awesome because, 
I mean, like you're saying, this technology is it's going so quick. Coming from my world, all I see was I'm, as I'm working on this is all about workflow because we have to mix projects, we have to mix them fast. So if I had a VR project and they said, you know, you, this has to be done by the end of the day or it has to be done in four hours, um, I was just thinking about workflow. What I did in my workflow, and you know, if you're going to get into a project like this, is essentially I set up. I have a couple tracks I call specials, and those are the ones that I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to actually pan. Right? Those are the ones that I'm going to really want to nail if it's a, if it's a significant action happening. And then I have backgrounds, which are my background. Those are the ones that are really wide, just to kind of add a little something. And then what I did is I broke out. Um, I did a front and a back, and a left and a right, and then I did. Um, the diagonals of those. So I did a front, like in your five one. So I did a you know a front left and a front right, and and, and basically put points in between them. And I just dedicated those channels to those places because a lot of times when you're shooting, um, something's going to be stuck over there in that corner. And I just really, it's really super quick. You take your mono effect, you kind of put it over there, and then you use the Oculus to figure out where about where it's at. You know. EQ wise, boom, boom, boom. It's really fast, really quick, and you can create a really complex sounding environment super fast by having these dedicated spots. It doesn't happen with everything, and sometimes you have to move something to to a, you know a special channel if it's moving between the planes. But a lot of times, like if we're doing this podcast, like Scott's saying, Scott's always sitting there, you're always sitting there, Rob's always sitting there, I'm always sitting here. So I would just layer layer your sound in those. You know what's great, though, is a lot of directors and a lot of the creatives, they're inventing the tools. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. That's, it's, it's, well, that's the, what, what happened with 5.1 yeah. originally. But, there, but there even no like tools. the days of Les Paul yeah. and multi-tracks. Yeah, and, and sure. being a, people just said, uh, here's what I want to do, and there's no tools to do it. I guess I just have to invent it. Yeah, It's going to be a wacky, wild world, and we're going to uh, – we're going to be on the cusp of it and see what happens. Um, but uh, I'll tell you what, VR Audio, you guys, I really recommend you guys um, looking at it for a really good future in audio. If you're starting right now and you want to get into audio, you want to get into mixing, you want that's, that's definitely a technology that uh, you want to look at. So I, I want Rob to come up with the, a VR shopping place that we can like, walk through and pick stuff and... Funny you should mention that. <laughs> Let me just say that uh, there are things that are in motion that aren't, that aren't being talked about. No, no, about not yet. motion. I'll get sick. Well, yeah, no. There are things that aren't talked about yet, but it's definitely there. Are, there's conversations going on. How about those Dodgers? <laughs> All right. Well, hey, listen. Um, we're going to start to wrap this up, but uh, yeah, it was. It's interesting. I'll keep you guys posted. I'm, I'm actually on. Slated to do a couple more things, so we'll see how it goes. But it's you know, it's the technology is a blast. Whether or not it, whether or not VR takes off, um, I think it's going to work in games and things like that. Who knows about for the home consumer? Because it really requires a lot. It requires you to put on goggles or some type of headset. But we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, um, I don't know which direction yet. But uh, before we go, um, Rob, is there anything uh, you're working on that you can talk about? Well, yeah. One thing is I'm actually going straight from the podcast here to the airport to fly to Austin to work with the missus. We're going to do a uh, like a radio lounge show tomorrow. So I'm cutting it kind of close schedule-wise, but uh, that should be fun. And uh, yeah, we're going to uh, actually shoot it in video as well because the next single is going to be sort of a cool vibey song that actually the 
it would make sense to have a performance video in the sort of lounge space we're going to be working in. That's cool. So that's going to be fun. So it's going to be a live performance and a shoot and all the stuff. And by the I way, enjoy. I just got to give you a shout out because Rob actually arranged his flight arrangements around the podcast. So. Yeah. Had to Rob. keep the streak going. <laughs> that's right. Had to keep the streak. And the other thing uh, I will say, uh, not that I've ever been Mr. Non-iPad. I've just said what I think they're good and not good for. But I actually now for a project need to buy an iPad Pro with the keyboard and the pencil. Oh, I just love that. So <laughs> I will just report back. to a, a new version of a laptop. Uh, yeah, it's a laptop uh, in a funnier shape. but warms my soul. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Soul's being It should warmed. be interesting. And also I have to give a NAM shout out because iConnectivity, we've talked about them a little bit before. They've got some pretty awesome audio and MIDI interfaces that work with iPads and computers and can even hook iPads to computers to share audio. That's awesome. And we got to have them on the podcast at some point, but I forgot to mention them earlier. All right. Scott, uh, working on anything interesting? You know, I, I, I no. I mean, <laughs> nothing, nothing I can talk about, but you know, it's, for me, I've been on a massive journey in guitars, whether it's checking out Eventide H9s on, on tablets, and I've been into pedal mania, so I've been uh, just loving this endless void of never-ending colorful pedals and sounds <laughs> that, uh, you know, it's just great. So it's, it's been keeping me very entertained. Nice. Oh, and I'll also just say, sorry to keep interrupting with NAMM shoutouts, but uh, the Kemper... You know, uh, amp simulators yes. and all that stuff. Yes. Uh, ran into those guys oh, yeah. who are awesome guys, and, and our good Thomas. friend Thomas was there, and he's got to get a shout out, and we got to have him back on the podcast. Absolutely. He said he would join. Absolutely. No, we got to get Thomas because I, I ran into him, and yeah, he's such, a, he's such a great guy, too. He's just a really good guy. Awesome guy. Um, Bobby. Yeah, a bunch of things in the works. Uh, a new edition of a new version of uh, my music 4.0. Um, book is coming out. It's uh, going to be Music 4.1. Uh, second edition of the Music Producers Handbook. And, uh, gee, the third one. Uh, the, oh, I forgot what the third one is. <laughs> uh, also, uh, a couple of courses, new courses that I'm putting together. And uh, I'm going to be doing a weekly course for lynda.com pretty soon. Oh, nice. So there's a lot happening. Mike and you. Uh, well, I just finished the VR project, and that was kind of fun. And uh, it looks like I'll be starting another one, so that'll be kind of good. And uh, it's just, I, I'm just having a blast with new technology. It's. Let me just tell you, if you've been in audio and you, let's say, you've worked at the same place for more than ten years, you got to evolve, right? Keep evolving. Just keep never, never get so locked into anything that you can't change the way you work or you can't change the way you feel about technologies or even change your tools because I'm being challenged every day. And, um, and there's, you know, young guys coming up the pipeline that, you know, that keep, keep me sharp, you know, and, and that's the way you stay relevant in this, in this technology and in this industry because the technology is going to change and if you don't stand that wave it's just going to leave you behind and it's going to it's kind of brutal that way um even so much that i've actually started using a trackball because of the fact that you know even though i like the mouse if i'm panning the trackball when i have the goggles on as a whole it's it's much easier to work with a trackball because i can really feel my 
my, you know, where I'm at in, in space. Cause you can't, you can't see it. You have goggles on. You can't see it. Which, by the way, if anybody invented a Pro Tools plugin where you can play VR in real time coming off the video track of Pro Tools or any DAW, that would win. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying because I literally had to, I created a video with a countdown and I had to hit my space bar at, when it, at the two pop. <laughs> Boom, and then play them both at the same time. And it was like, I played it flat to make sure it's sync, but then to, for the experience, I had to basically go old school. So yeah. it was kind of. You'd think you could like put time code on the, the audio track of the video and then just feed that into the DAW. Well, no. The the problem is, is the the video is playing back off a of Gear VR, which is which is just a phone essentially. Right. So you're trying to play video off your phone and sync the audio. In sync. I'm just saying, with, if the phone could be spitting out time code to the DAW, then you could do it. Yeah, you would think. You would think someone that should invent some, that. Some player would be able to do that through Bluetooth. Maybe Yamaha. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Anyhow, just the tools are it's amazing. So I just want to encourage everybody to uh, take a look at that if you're looking for an industry some growth there. Um, the other thing too is also read Bobby's Music 3.0 blog. Okay, I can't say enough good stuff about your that blog. I learn so much stuff and I, I read it all the time. So thank you kindly. Um, I always have to give that a shout out. Well, hey, listen. Um, first of all, I need to um, give a shout out to. Uh, our new engineer right now, yeah, Jonathan. All right, yeah, Jonathan is awesome. I mean, he is awesome. You can tell he's totally on the ball. So, a big shout out to Jonathan Doster. Thank you so much for helping us out today, and you did a great job. So, uh, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. For myself and all the guys, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you. See you, Joanne. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.